Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. We have a plethora of things to talk about on this show for the first time in forever. We've been hoping and praying that things would happen, and Chuck Fletcher, for better or worse, made things happen. So we're going to get into all of it, but you know how we start. Let's get right into it. Let's lead it off with the fly by yourself, Kelly Ankle. Chuck sure did do some things, didn't he? Did Told you he was going to do stuff. It was a real knew he was coaster. doing stuff. It was like a whole lot of like, oh man, this is awesome. Oh no, what are you doing? Oh okay, that's not so bad. Wait, no, don't do that. There was a lot of it was a lot of up and down, but I feel like I've evened out by this point, so that's good. Welcome that's... to the world of a hockey general manager doing things. This is what I forgot this is how what it goes. was like. This is I how forgot it goes. what it was like to have a GM that did things. Yeah, like you some things are good, <laughs> some things you don't agree with, but it's like stuff's happening. When I first saw that they traded the uh the first round pick and it was the day of the draft party, I was like, no one's coming. Absolutely. That's what I said. <laughs> like, I am gonna get there and Steph's gonna be standing by herself next to Gritty, and I don't know what I don't know what I'm what we're gonna do. From That was my oh. biggest fear, sorry. Oh yeah. That's my biggest fear in life always, is just throwing a party and no one comes. Uh from the athletic I was concerned. Sorry. Third third attempt, Bill. From the athletic.com, <laughs> Charlie O'Connor. So one thing that I did find really funny about this past week is, I mean, I was writing a lot of articles and there was a lot of Flyers conversation. The one thing I did not write about and no one cared, no one, no one actually gave a shit was like the Flyers drafted like four or five guys and no one gave a crap. Oh my God. <laughs> like, no, like, I did they, they, they did make draft picks. And like the guy who they took in the second round is legitimately interesting. But it just doesn't matter because they were doing like information overload with everything else that just kind of slipped through their cracks. And like, yeah, the Flyers added like six more prospects to their prospect pool, but who cares? They're making a move a day. Uh, yes. Cool. Yeah. An interesting second round prospect. He can get thrown into the Tarasenko package. Awesome. <laughs> no, that's, I did. I did a radio hit that I can't remember if it was the Friday or Saturday, but that weekend. And you know, we talked about all the moves, and then he was like, "So they just drafted some guys. You got anything?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> I did no draft prep because I never expected them to make the first round pick or any picks. They made some, uh, but I was like, no, I, you know, some of these guys will be interesting. We'll know in five years. Who's to say? Like, See, I did, it. I did a lot of draft prep because I had to, like, just in case I had to do draft prep. And, you know, I, you know, watch tape, look at stats, rescouting reports, like, have, like, a list of 50 guys that the Flyers could potentially take. And then, like, the rest of the line and trade blows that up. So, obviously, they're not going to pick in the first round. So, that whole, you know, list of people at pick number 13 or number 14, if you're, like, the NHL and you want to pretend that, uh, you know, even though Arizona forfeited their pick, there is still their pick, which was one of the most insane subways. I was I was literally told that by my editor that we are not allowed to call the thirteenth overall pick in the draft the thirteenth overall pick in the draft in articles because technically it's the fourteenth overall pick because the Arizona pick still exists. It was just forfeit, which is batshit insane. But so I digress. Yeah, I was I because I was watching the draft on mute at the draft party. Is that what it was? Because, like, all of a sudden, you know, the Flyers don't have the pick, and it's being made, and it's not in the spot I thought it was yes. in. I believe that Buffalo, on television, the pick the Flyers trade at Buffalo, was referred to on TV as number 14. 
even yes. though it was number 13 okay. because there was no, I think, pick 11 or 10. I'm not sure exactly where Arizona was. I think it was they were pick 11. Um, but anyway, so they, they, they trade the, the first-round pick, so that whole group's out. And then they do make the second-round pick, and I do like the, the, the guy they took to Amala. It's nice they finally got a prospect who can actually skate really well. That's cool. Um, been a while. Um, but it didn't matter because literally they announced the pick – at the same time, they announced the Jake Voracek trade. So <laughs> the highest drafted prospect they took was immediately overshadowed by the fact that they traded away one of their team leaders who's been on the team for 10 years. Like, no one was ever going to care about that pick because, of course, the Voracek trade was going to overshadow it. And then the other picks they made were just dudes. Like, they weren't—they didn't yeah. get anybody who was, you know, oh, this guy slipped really far. They got this exciting guy. Like, they just took a bunch of guys who they clearly have watched more than other teams have and they think are diamonds in the rough. And maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they're not exciting. So the entire day two of the draft for the Flyers just got, like, wiped off the map. Because all anybody was writing about was the Voracek trade. And like maybe in, you know, three weeks, like the collective hangover of the fan base will subside and people will be like, hey, you know, can you tell me a little bit about that fifth round pick they have? But right now, no one cares. No one. And fresh off. If you gave me a list of the guys that the Flyers (laughs) drafted. What is wrong with you? I was interrupted him every single time. I was like, he should be so quick to talk. (laughs) Oh, yes, there should be more silence on a podcast. That's what we want. (laughs) Anyway, if you gave me a list of players that were drafted by the Flyers this year and a list of auto generated names, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like, I wouldn't be able to pick out the Flyers draft picks. Just wasn't a focus this year. I mean, the number of people who. Well, I was on a plane, but. The number of people who care about a second round NHL pick anyway is like small. limited to this podcast. Yes. Fair. <laughs> and fresh off of interviewing Flyers general manager Chuck Fletcher, Stephalicious D, Steph Driver, awesome job on the uh Thank on you. the interview, Steph. Thank you. Everybody go listen. It is on our podcast feed. Chuck Fletcher, really nice guy. Um we got to bonding about Atlanta. He's lived down here before. Um, All I have to say is thank you for coming to our draft party. And if you were the person that won the four pack of Flyers tickets, please email me so I can get you those tickets. I need you to pick a date Mm -hmm. and I need you to tell me. I mean, I know who you are, so I need you to email me and I need you to tell me what game. Otherwise, you're not getting your tickets. So you need to email me. Thank you. All right, guys. Was that short enough, Bill? Did I do okay? No, that was fine. That was absolutely fantastic, Steph. All right, gang. So things have happened. Chuck Fletcher getting a little spicy. So in New Flyers, we have Ryan Ellis, Rasmus Ristolainen, Cam Atkinson, Keith Yandel, Martin Jones, and making his long-awaited return, Nate fucking Thompson. Yay. He's back. And He's shipped, back. And shipped out Nolan Patrick, Phil Myers, Shane Gostisbehere, Robert Haig, Jake Voracek, the 2021 first round pick, 2022 second and seventh, 2023 second rounder. Uh, overall, let's say this was just one big trade. In and out, all these things. Are the Flyers better right now than they were on the last day of the season? 19, uh, whatever last year was, 2021. I think yes. But I do think it's hard at this point to quantify why. Because I feel like the betterness is a lot of intangible things that, you know, people who look at numbers don't want to talk about. But the fact of the matter is... Jake Voracek's piss-poor attitude was a little bit of a problem. Nolan Patrick didn't want to play here anymore, so him leaving is probably good. Cam Atkinson is like a small little ray of sunshine that's probably going to be really good in the room. Ryan Ellis fucking kicks ass in like every single possible way. So there's like, I feel like they're definitely better, but I, I don't think it's easy without having seen this team play a single game to really explain why they're better. 
I mean, if we just look at the quality of the players that they lost, right? So Voracek is going to hurt. Um, Haig is not going to hurt. Goss Despair, 50-50. Myers, no. I mean, the, Nolan the, Patrick, the, in the, the future, ver- maybe. The version of Myers we got this past year, no. <laughs> right. Like, Myers might hurt in the future, but right now, as it stands, eh. um, Nolan Patrick, we're not going to miss. But if And then we look, Ryan Ellis just the, immediately improves the defense. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen does not. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I yeah, think like the, the Ristolainen I, I, thing. I think that just the addition of Ryan Ellis makes the team better. Yeah, I mean, that's such a big upgrade. Um, going back to the Rizzolina thing, like one thing I was thinking about, um, and I mean, we'll get more into, into detail about Rizzolina, you know, later, but you know, you look at the, the three players in three players out. Okay. In terms of the defense. And I think it's fair to line these guys up because this is sort of how the trades happen. Um, Ryan Ellis, Phil Myers, Ryan Ellis is way better than Phil Myers. Like, even if you're a Phil Myers fan, Ryan Ellis way better. Like, even if Phil Myers, I think, hits his ceiling, he's not going to be as good as Ryan Ellis is right now. So Ryan Ellis, huge, huge upgrade. Ristolainen and Haig were in the same trade. Like, I am very much a skeptic of Ristolainen. He's better than Robert Haig. I, I, am, I am confident that Rastus yeah. Ristolainen is a better hockey player than Robert Haig. So that's an upgrade. Now, the degree to which that's an upgrade can be debated, but I believe that is an upgrade. And then Yandel Gossespair, like... I think Gosses Bear is better than Yandel, but I don't think the gap is enormous. So if I mean, let's say, let, let let's let's look at it like this way. Let's say that the gap between Ristolainen and Haig and the gap between Yandel and Gosses Bear kind of cancel out, and then that leaves us with the gap between Ellis and Myers, which we agree is huge. So they very clearly, in my mind, improve the defense, even if you don't think Rastus Ristolainen is that good. Um, then you look at the forwards, and that's basically just like you swapped in Atkinson for Voracek, and you swapped in Thompson for Patrick. And the interesting part about that those swaps is that, like, I believe Voracek and Patrick are more naturally talented than Thompson and Atkinson. But, like, in all honesty, Nate Thompson, like, I don't think— I think Patrick is a better player than A. Thompson, obviously, but the Patrick we got last year is not really an, like a downgrade from or an upgrade over Nate Thompson, but that more speaks to how poor Patrick was last year. And then the Atkinson Voracek thing is more like I think Voracek is more talented. I think Atkinson fits this this roster better because he's he's a shooter. He's good on the penalty kill. He scores shorthanded goals. He plays a more obviously high effort side. And, and I'm not like Kelly. You mentioned about like Voracek's piss poor attitude. I don't think he had a piss poor attitude. It I was just a bit dramatic. I, I just think that they needed to shake up the leadership core, and he was the logical person to shake up the leadership core with. Um, so I absolutely think they got better. I don't think they got. I think my disappointment, and I tried to articulate this in the column I wrote for today. I don't think they improved enough on paper to have me look at them as like a cup contender. I think they're better. I think they're better. And I think really what they're banking on is that because all the pieces now will fit better together and because the locker room will be a better place, more conducive to quality play, that that's where a large portion of the upgrade is going to come from, probably in the form of young players playing better, you know, the, the young guys they already have and things like that. But, like, I don't come out of the, the these swaps of players thinking, man, the Flyers are, you know, they're going all the way. I come out of this thinking, like, Flyers are a playoff team. They're a playoff team. I I, I feel good about that. But I, I was hoping maybe for an offseason where it was like a fuck yeah offseason. And it's like, a, you know... I like it. I think they're a better team. I think they should be significantly better than last year, and they're certainly a lot different. I'm just, I don't think they've improved enough on paper to make me think that this team is ready to go up against the big guns of the league. Yeah, and yeah, that's... I agree. And I, um, I, I don't even know how to predict how they're going to do next season because this team is so different than the one we saw last year. Yeah, and that's, uh, to Charlie's point, I really appreciate that um, 
they they have backup plans. They haven't always come into seasons like, oh yeah, we're just hoping like guys replicate what they did in breakout seasons or hoping guys take step forwards. Now in your interview, Steph, uh, Chuck did say like, you know, we're we are banking on young guys, and he didn't name them, but you got to figure he's th- ho- really hoping Joel Farabee takes like another step and is legitimately awesome. Hoping TK bounces back, hoping Provorov bouncing bounces back, hoping Hart obviously bounces back huge, and then with the additions, they will have become awesome. Like they will be legitimately good then, you know. But I, I really like. I think the Yandel move. Might be not my favorite because, like, Ryan Ellis is good and Cam Atkinson's, like, going to score a whole bunch of goals. But I really like the Yandel move because they're not just going, yeah, I uh, I hope Cam York's ready. And if he's not, we're going to have a bunch of replacement level guys fucking filling in for him. Uh, sorry, maybe next year. Like, I really love the idea that they have, hey, you know what? It won't be that hard to sit someone else for Yandel. Or, you know, Yandel's not making a ton of money. It won't be hard to move him. He's got a no trade, but if he's not going to play, I got to believe he's going to want to, like, go somewhere he can. So yeah, whatever sure. happens, I just like the idea that they have, like, several like options and it's not just oh yeah well cam york wasn't ready so we're fucked but one thing i liked about the yandel move actually a couple things um but one thing that really you know jumped out of me about the yandel move is that one thing that i you know the flyers have not benefited from for a while uh is being able to fill out their lineup with depth guys who take contracts that are probably less than what they're worth and certainly less than they could have gotten elsewhere because they really want to play in Philly. And Yandel, I think, signed for less. My understanding is he had bigger offers elsewhere. He signed for $900,000, which is probably less than what he's worth, because he wanted to play in Philly. And it's about time that the Flyers benefited from like those types of ads at the bottom of the lineup because they haven't benefited from them in a long time. And it was cool. And I think that is one of those like benefits from being active. You know, if you're if your team is active in the marketplace, a guy like Keith Yandel, who already is positively predisposed to you because he's best buddies with Kevin Hayes, is like, hey, this team's going for it. I kind of want to be there because they're going for it. And like they're not like players aren't looking at analytics. They're not looking at the numbers. They're not like breaking down rosters. They're just kind of going by vibes. And the vibes around the Flyers, because they were doing stuff, was, hey, this is a team that's, you know, that's really trying to win. And that's the kind of stuff that catches hockey players' attention. And I think they benefited from that in the Yandel signing. Like, I don't think Keith Yandel signs with Philadelphia if the Flyers don't, in the week prior, get Ryan Ellis and Rasmus Ristolainen. Like, I just, I don't think, and Cam Agnes. Like, I don't think he signs here just because he's not excited about the Flyers. I think that that was a move you get. That's a byproduct of doing moves that then doing moves spawns other moves that are cheaper than what you would expect because hockey players get excited about a certain locale. How in the fuck does Keith Yandel get less than a third of what Eric Gustafson got just a year ago? Exactly. Like, exactly. Like, Amazing. Just, this is the difference between doing stuff and not doing stuff. You made yourself interesting, and now people can see your personality, and they're actually kind of pleased with it. Like uh, <laughs> when I saw when I saw the number, I was like, no, because that Eric Gustafson thing will stand out to me forever as maybe like the worst misspending of assets this side of fucking Andrew McDonald, and then they get like a guy who might actually still be kind of good for like. Nothing, basically. He, like, it, it's less basically. than a million dollars. No, it, it was completely... Like, the impact on the cap was negligible because Cam York is getting paid $880,000. Yeah. So literally all you did was pay an extra $20,000 to get an established NHL defenseman who's still really good on the power play and maybe can be okay at 5-on-5 if you shelter him. Like, one thing I was legitimately scared about, because I I was, in my mind, when they hadn't signed another third-pair guy, in my mind I was thinking, okay, that just means they think Cam York's ready. Cam York's making the team. He's in the third pair with Justin Braun. But one thing that did scare me was like, oh, God, if he flops in camp, are we going to have a Samuel Moran, Justin Braun third pair where no one can move the puck anywhere? Like, they would have gotten killed. They would have gotten destroyed. And, like, I think that they both, like, Sam Moran can jump in for a few games and beat people up, and that's fine. Like, 
fine. It's fine. It's the seven, the intimidation seven. Justin Braun, I think, is still a useful player. But, like, those two guys, you can't put them on a pair together. Mm -hmm. Like, for more than a game or two, it just ain't going to work. Well, no. now you have Yandel, and you throw him in there, and you throw him in with Braun, and if you need to get Moran into a game or two because, you know, you're afraid that Cal Clutterbuck's going to run around and try to beat up Oscar Lindblom, then take Braun out and throw Moran in, and then boom, you're good. I Yeah, that's another thing. We can talk about Ristolainen now. Uh, another thing I took away, I was really hoping uh, for Chuck Fletcher to say, Steph, and he basically made my entire argument for me, is... um. There aren't penalties in the playoffs. Like it's kind of no holds barred, and so having he a defense up said that having a defenseman who doles out punishment rather than takes it, I think is like really important. Like I'd rather hurt their wingers than their wingers hurt our defensemen. Like I I, I think like he could be pretty useful in those situations. I don't think he's going to come in and suddenly realize all the potential everyone thought he had when he got drafted. I but. I think in a certain role, Rasmus Ristolainen will be useful for this team. As much as you need to have skill and have great players, you need to beat the shit out of people sometimes. Like, look at Tampa Bay. They have all the skill in the world, and they still want to goon it up every now and then. And they go out and get guys who will punch you in the fucking face. You know why? Because it's legal in the playoffs. And that's why they've had playoff success. That's not why they have playoff success because they have great players. But behind those great players are people willing to commit murder. And I want a few murderers. I just wish the murderer they got didn't have, like, the worst numbers of any defenseman in hockey. Figure it out. Like, that's all I'm asking. Well, in fairness, all I was asking Tom for. Wilson, so. <laughs> Tom Wilson's a good player. He's just, a, you know, yeah. he likes and, to Right, but he's an actual murderer. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't gotten quite there yet. Don't I you know, and a war let, let, let's let's not challenge him to actually kill someone on the ice, please. No, uh, I, I feel right. you, Charlie. Like apparently yes. the last challenge I made, Chuck took very <laughs> seriously. Like Ristolainen's analytics are what they are. Uh, you know, and it's not even analytics, like being trapped it's, in it's your just, own it's zone. It's just results. Yeah, yeah, like like somebody somebody yelled at me on Twitter right after like I broke down the rest of the line signing and was like, well, you're just throwing out, you're like, he, it doesn't matter that his analytics are bad. I'm like, his plus minus is really bad too, man. <laughs> like this isn't advanced. This is just like when no. he's on the ice, bad shit has happened his entire career. <laughs> now, like if you're going to, like I, I am open to the argument that he could be better in Philadelphia. I absolutely, like, if, if your argument for Rasmus Lainan is that in a not hockey hell environment, if he's not being used 25 minutes a night, if he's given a more stable partner that actually fits his talent, you know, if he's given better coaching, more stable coaching, he could be a decent to good player. I am open to that argument. Like, I don't necessarily buy into it, but I have time for it. What I don't have time for is when people tell me that, no, he was actually good in Buffalo because he just yeah. wasn't. Um, I learned well, a lot yeah, that's about just him. Lie. This week, and I feel I actually feel better about Crystalline than I did before. I knew stuff, which is different. I didn't get to listen to that interview with Joe that you did. Can you yeah, give so us here's some highlights? Bullet points. Joe was overwhelmingly negative about Rasmus <laughs> Ristolainen. However, there were little nuggets that I took from it that I found positivity in. For example, apparently uh, Ristolainen when playing with Jake McCabe was actually not that bad. Yes. Yeah, that was a good pair. It worked. So with a partner that, as Charlie said, fits what he needs, perhaps he will be not that bad. Um, the other thing was that, for the most part, the biggest problem that he has, and Charlie, I think you've spoken to this previously, is a, is a hockey IQ problem. He takes himself out of the play way more often than he should to like make a hit or or you know do some other thing that seems like it'll be fun to do but ah oh, luke shen yeah but like i'm thinking like two-time champion he, luke shen he literally has <laughs> not true. had a competent hockey coach for the entirety of his nhl career he really hasn't so while the bad habits are certainly pretty well ingrained in him right now maybe a good coach can beat it out of him a little bit. <laughs> and if he does, like, okay, then maybe you have a a fine second-pairing defenseman that's not going to be great but isn't going to completely burn you and, as Bill said, will simply murder people in the playoffs, and that's good. 
Well, then that brings us back to how much faith do you have in the coaching staff and Elaine Vigneault? I don't know. People are, yeah, people are still kind of up in the air. Well, I, I mean, I do think I think he's better I mean, than anyone that he hadn't. That is probably of. true. But I do think they're one of the reasons why the anti-Rist aligning crew, and, and I don't necessarily count myself in this particular overlapping crew, but like one of the reasons why I think the anti-Rist aligning crew is so anti-Rist aligning is that there's a ton of overlap between the people who like are really in analytics and think Rissa Lyon is just trash. And the people who also think that Elaine Vigneault and all of his assistant coaches are also, also just trash. So the idea that like they can fix him is like anathema to them because they think that the coaches are awful. You know what I mean? It might be right. And I'm, I'm, I'm just not, saying, yeah. And like, I'm not saying that I'm like super pumped. I don't agree with that, but I'm just saying that's what that a lot of people in that group think. Yeah. Like, I don't know that anyone should be thrilled that Chuck Fletcher has been some kind of like weird, like had a picture of Rasmus Ristolainen on his locker for the last three years, like has just been chasing him like a psychopath. I don't. Well, well according to Steph's interview, what he said, <laughs> it dates back to the Minnesota. Days. To Minnesota, this was, yeah, like, like the last three years. Like this why? Was like, oh, this why? is a long-standing want for Rasmus like, Ristolainen. Like Chuck kisses a picture of Rasmus Ristolainen <laughs> before he goes to bed. I don't understand what's going on there. I I don't think that anyone should be thrilled that this is the guy no. that Chuck Fletcher simply had to have and the guy that he gave up a first and a second and Robert Haig for. You don't have to be excited about that. But I I do think that you that the idea that him being terrible here is just a foregone conclusion. I don't know if that's where you need to like sit in your reality. Like I don't we're just guessing. We don't I'm, know I'm, if he's going to be terrible here. I'm more than happy to keep an open mind. And as I said, I said yeah. this on a couple podcasts that like if Rasmus is aligned and turns his career around and even if he doesn't even have to be great, even if he's just like, OK, which would be a dramatic step up over his results so far. <laughs> right. as career even, <laughs> even if he's just that, like that's a story I would as a writer would love to tell because that'd be a fascinating story of like, what did Rasmus is and do? to improve his play was it just usage and location or were there actual tangible changes he made to his game like i'd love to tell that story that'd be a great story to tell so it's it's not something i'm ruling out and i'm going to keep an open mind when i cover him to start the year like one thing that i do and bill sort of alluded to this but one thing that i do think the flyers are going to benefit from having Ristolainen um you know you mentioned the playoffs and physicality I think there's truth to that but one thing that I do think the Flyers will benefit from everything I've heard is that Ristolainen number one is a really good dude like that that you know his teammates really like him He's he's a really good guy like he's just a genuinely like he cares he gives a shit but also you know in tandem with that he's the kind of guy where like if some idiot on the other team is punching Oscar Lindblom's head in. He's going to jump over the bench and just kill him. Like, just absolutely pummel him. And he's big enough that he can against pretty much anybody. Like, I don't care if it's Tom Wilson. Rasmus Ristolainen can go toe-to-toe with Tom Wilson. And I think too often last year, the Flyers, for whatever reason, were, I guess, either not engaged enough or not tight enough or whatever, that, like, they just sort of let their guys get the shit kicked out of them. And having a guy like Ristolainen, who, like, is the type of teammate who will, like, like he'll he'll go over the fucking wall with you. And if he, if you're if you're hurting, you know, one of his teammates, you're gonna pay from Ristolainen. And I think that does have value in a locker room, but also in terms of like you know firing a team up in that yeah. sense. Like I'm not I'm not talking about like a stage fight. I'm talking about like there's a scrum along the boards. You know. Some some idiots got like you know I don't know Claude Giroux in a headlock and Rasmus line and comes in and just pops no you him go face. back to Oscar Lindblom because if anybody puts a hand on him this season <laughs> I want that hand removed. Um, but you see my point. Like I do yeah. think there's value in that, and I think Ristolainen is the type of person from everything I've gathered from people I've talked to in the game that like he won't hesitate to do that, and I think they needed someone like that who won't hesitate to do that. One hundred percent. Like that that Limblom incident last year, the Flyers have been mediocre to bad for most of the last decade. That Limblom thing was the most embarrassing fucking shit I've ever like. I I still can't believe I watched it happen. Like that was it was cowardly. The team yeah. were literal cowards when that happened. Someone needs to. Uh, I can't. 
Can't get into it. Gonna get too mad. Have other things to talk about. But yes, they need that element. I really hope he brings it. And like, I don't think, like, we're calling Buffalo hockey hell. I don't know if we're even putting it. I don't even know if that's enough. That might be an understatement. Like, Taylor Hall. About Jack Eichel and his character issues today? No. Mm -hmm. And leadership issues? Uh, no. Did I hallucinate was, was, was this? Or did, did anybody else read or see this? Was there I a saw, further report about Eichel? I saw quotes from the general manager pretty much saying, like, we don't need to train anybody. We have a player under contract. What's the big deal? Like, it was kind of a weird... Oh, God. I don't remember who wrote it or even where I saw it, but there was something like, he's not a good leader. Like, you hear things about this guy off the ice and... And he's obviously a great player, but in the locker room, there's no way he should be captain. What a great organization! Lower your guys' trade. Did I, I may have hallucinated this. Now, if if none of if none of these people read it, it may have been in my head. What I did see was I. Am saw, I dreaming about so, Jack Eichel? That's okay, so, that's the question. So what I did see was I saw a discussion on Twitter among Buffalo fans that was basically like I think it was like Joe Yurd and a couple other people, and the argument was basically like, well, you know. It can't get any more toxic if you bring him back. And Joe Yurden's point was like, I don't think you can say that because if you have a Jack Eichel who no longer wants to be somewhere and they force him to come back, like it absolutely can get more toxic in that locker room. But I don't think that was like that. To me, that wasn't a report. That was just like them talking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, what I saw was a screenshot from an article. Oh, okay. Well, I missed that entirely. But I don't know where the article was or who wrote it. So, or even where I saw the screenshot. So, like, 50% chance I hallucinated it. It's but like, been a long week, guys. Like, oh Taylor Hall looked looked done there, you know, and then like scored half a goal a game in the reg- in the end of the regular season with Boston. It, like well, Jack Eichel. Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan yeah. O'Reilly was just like, I don't like playing hockey anymore. And I would, then they trade him and he wins a cup. And I would rather. Like, you probably like playing hockey now. I would rather drive my fucking truck drunk into a Tim Hortons than play for this team. Like, Jack Eichel is basically saying, no, I'm going to go to Mexico and get the shark spinal cord surgery from Friday Night Lights rather than, like, play for this (laughs) team. Like, it's... Something tells me Ristolainen's at least a tad better. A little. He has to be. Probably, I would hope so. I I will say, and this is based on people I've talked to, you know, with the Flyers. The Flyers absolutely buy into the idea that, like, Buffalo just ruins guys. Like, they absolutely believe that, like... I mean, the evidence is there. That, that, is, that essentially, like, <laughs> if we just get him the hell out of there, he's going to be better just by virtue of not being in Buffalo anymore. That they, that it is just like, you know, the the eighth circle of hell or whatever and just like it just sucks the life out of guys um so that's absolutely that's not that's something the flyers do believe and i think that is you know it's something that's hard to quantify but it definitely played into why they are not as low on wrist and as the numbers maybe say cam atkinson um Samuel. i think this is all like, I, I think he's going to be a nice addition to this team. Uh, Chuck said it in the interview. It's trading for Jake. You know, we saved a little financially and all that, but it's a hockey trade. We sh- we traded a, a passer for a shooter, and, like, yep. that's awesome. Um, but is it all just another piece to the Johnny Hockey puzzle? Because that's what I see. <laughs> yeah, Hold on. Pause. Twitter, Twitter time on. out. I found the article, and it okay. is on theathletic.com. Oh, okay. So it oh, is real, and it existed about Jack Michael. Oh, Wizard twice. It's probably fake news. Um, so it's from former Sabres forward Jean-Sebastien D. Of course. Um, oh, oh, that guy. Yeah, he was a devil for a while. I remember him. Yeah. So he's um, he's comparing Jack Eichel to Sidney Crosby and saying he is not Sidney Crosby. Um, no, he has a personality. No shit. <laughs> what? He's... An excellent hockey player, but in terms of leadership, sometimes I think I'm sure with that age and maturity he'll gain, he's going to get better. Sidney Crosby wasn't Sidney Crosby at 24. Like he, no, he was a fucking whiny pain in the ass. I'm fairly sure that he wasn't a maybe not in the locker. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to say out loud, I did not hallucinate it. There was an article that existed. Um, Johnny Hockey has got to be a flyer by this time next season. Like I don't think that there's any way around that. By the deadline. 
I for sure, one hundred percent. Think by, by the, the deadline, deadline, he's going to be a Flyers. Yes. Well, so the thing with Johnny Hockey that's fascinating, um, and this is you know it, we're all this is all just conjecture here, yeah. But it is sort of read between the tea leaves because as I've said on multiple occasions, like there absolutely is a feeling in hockey circles that Johnny Goudreau will eventually end up in Philadelphia. Like that's that's out there. It's it's spoken of openly, um, because now. He's in the final year of his contract. Johnny Goudreau now has a no-trade clause where he can limit the teams he's traded to to five. He can basically say, 27 teams in the NHL, you cannot trade me to those 27 teams. You can only trade me to five, which I would assume one of those five teams probably will be the Philadelphia Flyers because he probably would have no problem going home. Well... My understanding is Calgary is trying to resign him, and they might. I mean, this may be a uh, you know Mike Trout situation. Where, I will be you know, so disappointed. Where he just up and resigns, and it's like, okay, well, all that talk for years was useless, and he just wanted to stay in Calgary. Whatever, that's fine. But if it turns out that Calgary cannot resign him, whether they can't agree to a deal that Johnny Goudreau believes is fair, or Johnny Goudreau just decides he doesn't want to stay in Calgary anymore— if that were to happen, presumably, unless the Calgary Flames are, you know, a top-tier team next year gunning for the Cup, presumably they would prefer not to lose him for nothing. And if it gets to that point, they won't have a lot of trade leverage because they're only going to be able to trade him to five teams, one of which we presume is the Flyers. So you can definitely see a path at some point over the next year where Johnny Goudreau is traded to Philadelphia. It could happen. I'm not it's saying a- it's definitely going to happen, but like you can you can see the the logical path as to how that could happen and how it could happen in a way where the Flyers don't have to gut their their prospect pool or their young players to do it because as we're seeing with Vladimir Tarasenko, like when once you start being restricted in terms of the teams you can trade a guy to, your leverage goes down the tubes. If the Flyers are in the playoff hunt at the deadline next year and Calgary is not. There's like zero doubt in my mind that he's going to be a flyer. No Bring him doubt. home. He's coming, baby. I I really the only thing that concerns me is that his contract expires, so they would have to extend him. But oh, yeah, they'd have, they have to pay him a lot of money. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, but like that's for future so. Chuck yeah. to worry about. Future about Chuck. Right yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want to backtrack. I should have started planting seeds today. Be like, hey. So can we get backtrack to Sorry. actually talking about Cam Atkinson? Oh, yeah, he's yeah. kind of like a decent player. Yeah. Um, Not just a pat to get Johnny Goudreau. No, no he's yes. good. I know Alex from uh, the Canon was absolutely devastated he to was. lose this guy. He told me devastated. That. He was very. And Cam upset. Atkinson is like a pocket friend. He is two foot tall. Yeah, he's five, five eight. eight. Yeah, but he's he play a, he, he's he plays king. bigger, and he like. I mean, when you're that small, you kind of have to play like a relentless high energy game, and he plays a relentless high energy game. Like he's fun. Isn't he the one that fought Sandheim maybe no, two years ago? No, that was somebody else. I know who you're talking about, though. And it was like Sandheim couldn't find him because he was so was small. That was that Gerby? That was Gerby, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, even, Gerby. he's even he's smaller. Like he's like five two. six. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. so small. Nate, Gerby. Yeah, that was Gerby. <laughs> um. Yeah, Atkinson, he's short, which obviously benefits him shorthanded. Uh I, I I really want to get back to being dangerous on the PK again. Like it was so nice two seasons ago scoring all those shorthanded goals, and then it just fell completely apart. They were just so passive again this past season. I really, really am looking forward to that. Uh that Same. aspect. Oh yeah, absolutely. And just having a shoot first guy, like whether you pair him with uh, with G and Couturier, or possibly Kevin Hayes, like someone who will just take the puck and fucking rip it, please, <laughs> please just shoot it at the net. Well, one yeah. of the things that was interesting, um, Steph mentioned Alex from the Canon, and he was telling me that um, the thing that he thinks is going to be good for Atkinson in Philadelphia is that he seems to do best when he's not the guy. Like, he was better when he was playing on a line with Panarin than he was once he became, like, the guy on the line. So, I mean, obviously, on either the first or the second line with the Flyers, he's not going to have to be, you know, the guy that makes everything happen. So, I'm pretty excited about the idea that we kind of flopped a guy that 
literally would never shoot the puck when he should shoot it for a guy that pretty much only shoots the puck at the net. I'm really excited about it. I can't imagine um, Artemi Panarin making a hockey player play better. Could you imagine? <laughs> never Could has not. happened before. Never. How weird, right? <laughs> How wild is it that Jake, after all these years, is back in Columbus? Back like, in Columbus. Funny. He seemed and- pretty happy about it. Like, you know what's we, weird? We got, we, yeah, we got him the day of the trade, and he's he was very much at peace with the whole thing, and he seemed excited to be going back to Columbus. Like it's funny because everybody wants out of Columbus, but I think Jake Voracek legitimately enjoyed being in Columbus, and I think I think Chuck Fletcher. I mean, this is one thing that that I will give Chuck Fletcher when it comes to these sort of things. Like I think he does legitimately try to do right by his players, even when he's trying to get rid of them. Like. I think he had a lot of conversation with Jake Voracek, you know, when they were discussing the possibility of like, hey, we might want to shake things up and you're kind of the leader who we might want to trade. And I think they talked it through and I bet Jake gave him like some places where it's like, hey, you know, if you can if you can get me to one of these three or four spots, that would be awesome. And I get the impression that Columbus would have been on that list because he's got friends in the organization, like guys he used to play with are now in the organization. Like he has like, you know, he has ties, he has roots in that area that he could just go right back to. So I, I give Chuck Fletcher a lot of credit because he, he even kind of did it with Nolan Patrick. Like I know it was a, it was a three team deal. Like you sent him to Nashville first, but like, there's no way he did that deal not knowing that he was eventually going to end up in Vegas. And Nolan Patrick, I think like ideally like the idea of going to Vegas because it's his old junior coach, Kelly McCrimmon as a general manager. And I think it's just a good fit for him. So I, I give Chuck Fletcher credit because like, even as he was doing this shakeup, like compare it to say Vegas, you know, where they don't even tell their franchise face of the face of the franchise goalie that he's getting traded. And he has to see it on Twitter. Like I get the sense that like Chuck Fletcher doesn't blindside his players, even as he's shaking everything up. Like, Jake Voracek made it abundantly clear. And like, look, I know that there's a lot of criti- critics of Jake Voracek out there. I know there's a lot of people who were not sad to see him go. But he was on this team for 10 years. He was an alternate captain. He's near the top in all the scoring charts. Like, you do, you may have to move on from him. It may have reached that point. But you don't want the relationship. You don't want to burn that bridge mm-hmm. on the way out if you don't have to. You want to do it in a professional way. You want to do it in a cordial way. And I give Chuck Fletcher credit because Jake Forchek specifically said in his like post-trade availability that there's no hard feelings with him and Chuck Fletcher, that he understands it's a business. And he sounded sincere. It didn't sound like he was just paying lip service. Like I got the sense that you know there was a lot of communication between Voracek and Fletcher, and they both just kind of mutually agreed that, you know, the Flyers want to change up the leadership core. They want to get some new voices in. And Jake Voracek, maybe he should finish out his career somewhere else rather than finish in Philly. Maybe the, the relationship has just run its course. And I, I give Fletcher credit for ending it in a way that wasn't like everyone was angry at each other. And I think uh, we're going to take a quick break right after this. I think it's really important just in terms of getting the Flyers back to the top of the list of, you know, premier organizations and making it a destination again that like, Hey, they treat guys right. Like when that flurry shit comes out, you're like, Oh yeah, it'll be fun to live in Vegas. But also I'm, I might be the last one to know that I'm fucking traded. Like, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) Like that, that would be real shitty. Um, we're going to take a quick break. I'm not getting calls from my agent. I'm instead getting calls from my family who saw I was traded on Twitter. Like, I love that he hasn't even told Chicago if he's playing or not. That's so goddamn funny. Uh, All right. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll be back on the other side to wrap this up. All right, fam, we are back. I just want to backtrack real fast to the bad organization thing, because I forgot to bring this up when we were talking about Buffalo. Um, How did they get Hag, this year's one, and a future three for Ristolainen, and then a future one and a 19-year-old seventh-round goalie uh, who didn't play in college as a freshman for Sam Reinhardt. Like, how is, the ret- how is the return bigger 
for Ristolainen. And I'm very know, like, tall. Like <laughs> bigger guy, bigger return. That's I guess. it. I just like couldn't couldn't Chuck have thrown in like the 2022 first and like Samuel Urson to get to get Reinhardt right? too? Like come on. <laughs> well, I mean, there was Capish. Like, I know getting I know. both of them. The, here's here's a point I'll make about the Ristolainen thing, and like we really, I don't think we've really even dove into this entirely. We have all off season to do it. Um, don't underrate just how valuable especially in nhl trade talks just how valuable the idea of a right-handed shooting defenseman is mm, like i don't true. think it's a coincidence i do not think it's a coincidence that the one trade that the flyers did that was like slam dunk this trade is awesome yes they got a right-handed shot defenseman but they traded a right-handed shot defenseman so like that was how they avoided the don't overpay for righty shots because they gave up one if they weren't giving up, if they were giving up Travis Sanheim, even though Sanheim is objectively a better player than Phil Myers, bet they might have had to throw a first round pick in because he doesn't shoot right handed. Like, it is a big freaking deal getting righty shots because there's fewer of them and people like teams just value them so highly to the point where a guy like Ristolainen, who has never performed well at even strength one season in his career, is still like, like, people are like lusting after him from afar. If he was a lefty shot, I guarantee you no one would care. Train your son. Is that like pitchers, like left-handed pitchers? Even more so because I feel like there's more lefties now. And like the mm. the, the thing with the thing with lefty pitchers, especially starters, is it's not that big of a deal because you got to go through the entire lineup multiple times. It's a bigger deal for relievers because you can situation situationally do it. I mean, ideally you you mix it up, especially in a playoff series, it matters if you can go like lefty righty lefty or righty lefty righty like that matters to a degree but in hockey is just a bigger deal because every coach ideally wants that lefty righty balance on the pairings because so then everybody can be on their forehand more often on breakouts and there are just way more lefty shots because most people who are right-handed dominant shoot left and there's more right-handed dominant people than left-handed dominant people so so all of our children need to be taught to be yes. right-handed defensemen. Well, I mean, like, well, they only have to be mediocre. Well, the thing is that you can. Yeah. Like, so for me, this is a fascinating story. I, I sorry to go off on a tangent here, but a few years ago, Allison Lucan, um, who now apparently is writing for the Seattle Kraken website, which is awesome. Um, nice. But sh she did a really good story a couple of years ago on the idea of righty lefty. And it was the fact that the way that you're supposed to do it, the way you're taught, if you come up in like, you know, a, an actual professional hockey environment is that if you write left-handed, you shoot, if you write left-handed, you shoot right. If you write right-handed, you shoot left. Well, there are some people who don't come up in like hockey worlds as kids and they just figure, well, I, sh I write right-handed. I guess I should buy a right-handed shot. And then they sort of slowly teach themselves how to do it. And they break that, like the way it should be done. And I found it funny because that's the way I did it. Like, I didn't grow up in a hockey world. I got into hockey at, you know, eight years old because I got hooked by the, uh, the 97 playoff run by the Flyers. So, of course, I then wanted to play hockey. And it was like, well, I guess I'm getting a right-handed shot because I'm a righty, right? Like, and then I just learned how to shoot righty. So you can do it. And there are NHL players who write right-handed and shoot righty. So you can, yeah, if, if you want your kid to have a slightly better chance of being a, um, of being an NHL player and he likes the, or she likes the idea of playing defense, Maybe you encourage them to pick up a right-handed stick. Maybe retirement fund. They right only there. have to be mediocre. They'll get paid millions. There we go. So I forget what the hell I was going to say now. Uh, oh yeah, Martin Jones. Um, oh no. Yeah, this is the one. Like Nate Thompson is whatever. If he is like the thirteenth forward or the four C and plays nine minutes a night and two thirds of them are on the penalty kill, whatever. We don't have to spend any time on Nate Thompson. Uh, but Martin Jones is um, he's not very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, like like three consecutive years, the exact same save percentage of eight ninety six. He's That's, consistent. You got to give him that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I tweeted it out like a few days prior. It was like, all we ask of goalies is to be consistent. Um, and of course, <laughs> of you course, here we then. are now. Um, <laughs> I, I loved, I really loved Steph. You really showed immense professionalism in the interview with Fletcher when he said, well, actually, Martin Jones, you know, at five on five was better than our goalies last year. Because I would have fucking, <laughs> I would have said so many things. It. He would have hung up. Like, I, there's no way I couldn't have been rude. 
Like, hmm. yeah, no shit. I got to sure. tell you, in my head, in like, my head, I'm like, well, <laughs> nobody was worse. Than <laughs> not difficult. Like, not literally difficult. nobody no shit, was worse. Sherlock. Like, uh, Carter Hart was playing with his helmet on backwards or something. <laughs> and uh, Brian Elliott was like a corpse. Like, of course he was better yeah. than them. No, Brian Elliott didn't get injured. He just, you yeah, know, no, he was laid hurt. face down on the ice yeah. for a handful of He was really, games. really tired all yeah, the time. Yeah, he just couldn't move. I mean, who wasn't, but. Yeah, he just like couldn't move his body. Just laid face down. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm playing tonight, guys. Like, is this? Is this a confidence in heart thing? Do they really believe in Martin Jones enough to be like a tandem? What What is the point of bringing in another bad goalie? So what he, what Chuck said during our interview is that he's 31, he's good. Like, okay, cool. So he's yeah. 31 and he's good, guys. This, the small child that works at our website, Eamon, he, um... He made a point, I guess he paid a little bit more attention than I ever have to the San Jose Sharks. Um, mentioned that if you look like more granularly at Martin Jones's seasons, he does have stretches where he does okay, but it kind of grades out to bad over the course of a whole season. So he has really bad games. That's theor- what I've heard. Yeah, that, like, like he has he has blow up games where he gives up like seven goals. Like theoretically, if he's, you know, only starting you know, two of five games for the Flyers, maybe it'll be okay. I suppose. Maybe. So so here's my point about Martin Jones. And, I mean, I hate to continuously bring everything back to rest for Salinan, but I'm going to bring this back to rest for Salinan. One of the reasons why I'm actually more optimistic about Martin Jones than rest for Salinan. As I think that the, the, the two additions are somewhat similar in that, like, you're, tra- you're, you're acquiring guys who've been bad and you're figuring that we can make them good. So there's two reasons why I, I like the bet on Jones more than Ristolainen. The first reason is that Rastus Ristolainen has never once had a good season. Yeah, Jones has been strength. good in the His past. Only value, Ristolainen's only actual tangible positive value in the NHL really has been on the power play, where he's had very good years, and that's how he racks up his points. Jones has had three straight really bad seasons, but before that, he had three straight really good seasons, including one where he was the starting goalie for a team that went to the cup final. Like, to me, it's more plausible that you can, like, that's, this is a reclamation project. This is actually, like, he's been good once before. He could be good again. We think we can get him there. And then you add in the fact that, okay, why do they believe that? It's not just blind faith of, well, we think we can improve him because we're just that goddamn awesome. Martin Jones has an existing relationship with Kim Dillaball, the Flyers goalie coach, because Martin Jones came up in the Los Angeles Kings system when Kim Dillaball was the goalie guy in Los Angeles, and Martin Jones basically studied under Kim Dillaball. So you're bringing him in. You're bringing in a guy who, yes, has been really bad for three years, and yes, might continue to be really bad. That is a legitimate possibility. But you're bringing in a guy who has been good before, has been tangibly, measurably good before, and you're putting him back with the guy who helped make him good in the first place. Like, that to me is a plausible narrative as to how a guy turns things around. Whereas Rissa Lyon, it's just like, well, we think he's going to be good here. He was bad in Buffalo. We think he's going to be good here, and we, we, can, we can do it. Not saying that's not possible. I just look at the Jones thing, and I see a more plausible path to him figuring it out. So that's why I'm like... I'm still skeptical, and I still think that, you know, the, the Flyers, I think the main reason why they ended up with, with Jones is because they just didn't have the cast space to get anybody better. I think they, you know, they did so much, and they kind of squeezed themselves so tight that, like, I think they would have loved to get Jonathan Bernier, but there's yeah. no way they could have fit a $4 million okay. cap it on their books. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. So you end up having to go to the next tier, and Jones was cool with coming here and was willing to sign to a cap number that fit with what the Flyers had left, and boom— you convince yourself we'll figure him out. But I do think that because of his past track record of being good once before and the Dillaball connection, that it's plausible to me that he could be better here. So can a comparison be made to teaming Carson Wentz with Frank Reich again? That's interesting. Similar yeah. idea? Yeah, it's a similar okay. idea. Okay. I mean, I think... I, it's I, the wrong sport. It's the wrong sport. And I think... Nah. There was more drama. I didn't get the sense that that Jones ever 
reach the degree of drama yeah, no, in no. San Jose that Wentz did in Philly. Like, I don't think Jones was hated in in San Jose the way that Wentz was in Philly by the end. But I can see the argument that, like, yeah, you're bringing him back with a guy who, you know, kind of helped him make him what he was, and you're going to try to, you know, revitalize his career by, uh, by you know, joining those two back together. So, yeah, I, I can see the comparison. I was really just asking that, so I had time to formulate the next joke in my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now nah, forget it. It's again. all to set up the next bit. Oh, it's always all everything. That's, that's actually all what life is about. Everything is just it's setting true. up the next bit. Now, like, Martin Jones wanting to come here I think is huge. Like, goalies are weird, and goalies are superstitious. If you were a free agent goaltender and had your choice of now 32 teams in the NHL, why in the fuck... Would you choose the Philadelphia Flyers as a goaltender? Like, oh, yes, I want to go and die. Like, <laughs> you're going to be bad. You know, that's a really good point. Yeah, like, why would a goalie choose to come here? Forget even that, like, Carter Hart could be the truth. And, okay, I'm never going to play. You might play, and you're going to be bad because you're wearing a Flyers jersey. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> Why would you why would you choose here? So it's just wanting to come here, I think, is huge from Martin Jones. I like the I enjoy I like the idea that he's a reclamation project. Like Ristolainen is a project. While yes, exactly. Exactly. Martin Jones has been good. I I think that's a that's apt there. Alright, so Cap Friendly projects right now the Flyers have eight million ten thousand four hundred and seventy seven dollars in cap space uh they still need to give Hart and Sanheim their RFA deals Moran and the germ are both back at a year and uh 750k would it be the worst thing now I want to you know fill out the roster they still have needs you got to sign those two guys would it be the worst thing in the world to go into the season with a little cap space no, I think no that might be good. because John Hockey. Yeah, yeah, got to got to bank that cash face uh-huh. for Johnny Hockey. Got to, got to. Uh, if we're if we're getting him at the trade deadline, which is all but confirmed right now, <laughs> I'm hearing. we need we need that cap space. Do you expect? I don't think they're going to have a lot of cap space. No, that no. that that's my thing. Got to like, sign those two. This actually was, it felt like kind of a feather in my cap here, and I'm going to toot my heart for a little bit. So I, I always do, like, my restrictive free agent contract projections, and I look at comparables. I use the evolving hockey contract projections model, and I just sort of do an article about the RFA so I can guess as to what their eventual contracts are going to be. And then I use that as, like, the placeholder in my cap projections articles when I'm trying to figure out, like, how much cap space the Flyers have left. It just helps me sort of, like, have a through line in all my articles. Well, this year I projected that the flyer that Carter Hart was going to get about three point two five on a bridge deal, three point two five million, and that Sanai was going to get about four point seven five on a not super long term, but like somewhere in like the three to five year range, which added up to eight million dollars. And it was very, very satisfying when the Flyers set up their entire offseason and ended up with $8 million worth of cap space left to sign those two guys. <laughs> because what that tells me is that the Flyers are looking at it being like, okay, we might have to spend up to $8 million combined on these guys, which tells me that I did a pretty good job projecting contracts. Chuck and that made me feel the good. athletic. I'm pretty sure he has way more, way, way more complex ways to to guess on what contracts might cost. And also, he's actually talking to the agents and has an idea of their asks and what it might take. But I'm pretty happy that, like, and it it very well may come in below $8 million. You know, $8 million might be, like, the ceiling, and they might be able to get those guys for a bit less. But the way this sets up, it seems pretty clear that they think there's a possibility they might have to spend up to $8 Which made me feel good because it was like, hey, I think I did a pretty good job at this. You always do a good job, Charles. Yeah, I think that it's a pretty good bet that Chuck Fletcher reads The Athletic. He absolutely (laughs) reads Chuck's articles. Like, it's a good bet. I got to say, like, Carter Hart really did kind of do us a favor. By really by being sucking. terrible, just by being he terrible. Did everyone except it. himself a favor. Yeah, yeah just like thank. Yeah. Like I, I always want hockey players to get paid, but like you can get paid a little bit later, buddy. Not this year. I always want them to get paid by other teams. <laughs> I hope. Like I wanted Wayne Simmons to get a hundred million dollars somewhere else. 
Like, <laughs> uh, but that with the with the idea of the cap space, that leads me to the last thing I want to, I guess, really say about the current roster. You expecting JVR back? At this Seems point, like it. Seems like he's coming At back. At this point, yeah. This I point, mean, yeah. I will say that, like, if they if they do decide to get spicy again, to me, he's like the logical person that they move out mm-hmm. because I don't think they're wedded to him. But like I think there's a there there's a there's a distinction that should be made between JVR and Voracek because you know obviously both of those guys were um you know were left exposed in expansion which leads you to believe that the Flyers were okay with losing either of them for nothing. So there's a reason why a lot of the people equated those two players in in their minds. I don't think like Voracek I think they liked the idea of moving him because a his contract was bigger and it was longer, you know, it was a year longer, but also because they liked the idea of changing the mix in the locker room from a leadership standpoint. And they liked the idea of, you know, maybe not having a guy in the leadership core like Voracek, who I like, and I think is a good player, but like, he's not particularly engaged defensively. Um, You know, he can coast on some shifts and whatnot. And I don't think they necessarily, you know, love the idea of him continuing to be in the leadership course. So you swap him for a guy like Atkinson, who's a more two-way oriented player, you know, played under John Tortorella and was a favorite of his, is high energy. Like, it's just, it's a swap. JVR, on the other hand, like, I'm not saying JVR is this, like, defensive stud. But I think, especially the past two years, he showed a lot more commitment to two-way play than he had before. And he's a guy who is very, very, very committed off the ice to keeping his body in shape, you know, to workout regimens, things like that. And they, I think, like the idea of having someone like that around to guide the kids. I think, you know, there was there was an element of like, look, if we lose JVR to clear cap space, it's not the end of the world. But they didn't think that like, JVR wasn't a primary leader on the team. He was kind of like a secondary leader who provide a positive off-ice value because of the example he sets for for young guys. And I think they look at it as that's not necessarily something that they're super excited to just get rid of. You know, if it has to happen, sure. But they like his fit with this team, and they don't think he's someone who, like, they have to get rid of to change the mix. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it makes, Absolutely. that makes a ton yeah, of sense. I, I think that's... Yeah, and I think that's pretty spot on. Um, I I see him as easily one of the leaders in the room, but like he's not one of he's not one of the core guys. Like I think like the, no, and, and I up, would like, never call him a core guy. Yeah, like he's like a secondary leader. He's like you know not the guy who stands up in the room and like says get your shit together, but he's the guy where you know if you're a 21 year old who's getting a little worn down, you go up to him and you're like, hey, you got any workout tips for me? And he's like, yeah, sure, kid, I'll show you what I do. Like that's the kind of leader he is. He's not dad. He's Uncle Jim. Exactly. I like <laughs> Uncle that. Jim. That's good <laughs> Uncle Jim. Uncle Jim. All right. I want to ask just one more thing here, and we have the whole offseason to talk about the Flyers. Everyone listening knows we don't go anywhere. We do this every week, uh, regardless of anything's happening or not. And things actually happen this offseason. My God, this is going to be a breeze, guys. Like, <laughs> Jesus, the shit we've <laughs> dealt with. Holy. Uh, anyway. Um, I know we have been through I'm it. Gonna, I want to close talking about my absolute favorite subject, the New Jersey Devils. Um, oh, no, oh, Dougie Hamilton, uh-huh. really? Good luck, buddy. like really, Douglas, Douglas, Douglas. Uh, so Douglas. he just, I'm, I'm, sit- I'm just shaking my head because I am so <laughs> mad. I'm, I'm so mad at so many things, but like this. Douglas, how 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 do you do this to me personally? Like, like New Jersey is not a small market team. The Devils just no shouldn't exist. Team. I was gonna say, yeah, there, there are, are no there market are no team. market team, and you're so like, does he know how close Newark is to Manhattan? Because if you're looking for somewhere quiet and small, buddy, you did not find that. Well, no one's gonna well, pay attention to him. That's the thing. Like, if if it was a matter of, like, somewhere he could sort of just, you know, do his own thing and no one's really going to care either way, like, the Devils are a pretty good spot because nobody cares about them now. And even if they get good, there's a ceiling as to how many people are going to care about them then. Mm -hmm. And then these fucking twats in Carolina. You hear me, Eric, Dr. (laughs) T. 
lose, like just just lowball Dougie Hamilton, and they're like, you know who we need? Tony D'Angelo. Great replacement. Yeah. Like, how do you go from one of the shining stars in the NHL to Tony D'Angelo? How do you do that? Yeah, it was it was a rough was uh, rough. R- rough last few how, days in Carolina from a PR standpoint. I'll say that. How do you? do that like you have Dougie right here just pay the man that's it just pay him you cheap bastards yeah that's the one yeah I mean I think well the thing is is that like I do there's still a cap team it's not like they they aren't spending the money it's just they didn't think that Dougie Hamilton was worth that kind of money on a long-term deal and you know I will say that long-term deals for free agents don't usually pan out, especially by the end, and maybe that was what they were thinking. That said, Dougie's a pretty damn good player, and mm-hmm. you're a win-now team. You're, you're, you're a team in Carolina where this is your window, and I don't know. I feel like I feel like— I think I think Hamilton would have taken less money to stay in Carolina. It he was, was just, so happy there. It was just that like it was so much less yeah. that he kind of had to. I mean, you're getting. I think what would their final offer was like six point three so a year, and he, and he and he got nine a year. So, no, like, I mean, if he oh takes boy. that, he's getting calls from the players' association. Like, yeah. fuck you, dude. Like you yeah. just screwed all of us. Yeah. Like Carolina was willing to give him the extra year, but when the AAV is that much lower, yeah. it's like, hey, you know, here's the thing. Year, idiots. But... I'm so mad. Here's the thing about guaranteed long-term contracts. Unless you draft a guy and lock him up before he actually reaches his ceiling, you are going to overpay him and it's going to be a bad contract. There's no yeah. other yeah. way around it. If you want a really yeah. good player, you have two options. Draft him and sign him early. Or overpay him in the free agent market. Like that's it. Those are your the ways last to get three good years players. Of every one of those contracts is bad. Yeah, it's a stupid live with system. It. Win now, live with it later. I, I, yeah. All right. Uh, is that it? Are we done? I think that's it. All yeah. Right. I. I now. That's my whole night is ruined because we <laughs> talked about. You mentioned the devils, and then I started yelling about the hurricanes. Oh. Like, thank, thank you. You knew what you were doing. You set me up. The entire night is going to be misery because of the New Jersey Devils. Excellent. And that is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, you got to hit that subscribe button. You can find things like uh, Steph's interview with Chuck Fletcher right there in our podcast feed. Oh, God. Yeah, please listen to that. It was a really good time. Chuck Fletcher was very kind. Um, and I think we got some real good questions in, and and to that point, we got some really great answers. I, I, it really did. He didn't just bullshit you and just waste twenty minutes. I think it's worth a listen. Check it out. All right, that's it. Uh, my name is Bill Matz for Charlie, for Steph, for Kelly. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah.